butterfly in the sky I can go twice as high Take a look, it's in a book A reading rainbow Welcome back to ES250, Intro to African American Studies. I'm your host, Dr. Courtney Cox. And this week we're looking at African American literature, and I thought that because we're not reading an entire book together, for example, where we can kind of dig in, this also isn't an English class um, or a class that's really heavily rooted in literature. I thought we'd read a chapter from a book, a little bit of poetry, a little short story to kind of give us this kind of tapas platter of reading. Um, And so hopefully that gives you a bit of range. I also tried to pick different time periods. And starting with the Harriet Jacobs piece, um, the chapter, The Trials of Girlhood, from the book titled Incidents in the Life of a Slave Girl, it was published in 1861 by Harriet Jacobs under a pseudonym at the time. Um, She had learned to read and write as a child um, that was enslaved from the family that she lived under. Um, And this is really a rarity at the time. Um, There were a lot of enslaved folks that could read, but the fact that it was done kind of out in the open versus learning to read late at night or um, in a cabin or away from kind of the purview of overseers um, is really more the standard story versus being taught how to read by the very people that um, claim to own you, right? And so she had always known how to read and write as a kid, um, and then the story is really told in this kind of coming-of-age story in, in, in a way that is very different from maybe the way we typically think of coming-of-age kind of preteen and teenage stories. One of the things that's important to note about Harriet Jacobs is she hid in her grandmother's roof for seven years um, and then escaped in 1842 um, to the north, where she then became involved in abolition work and really um, became one of the major key figures as an author of the genre titled slave narrative, this idea of um, enslaved folks who either bought their freedom, gained their freedom, ran away, um, were able to then tell their story in a way that was used by abolitionists to say, these are the horrors of slavery. And so her book is really a key text in that slave narrative. Another one that is one you may be more familiar with, 12 Years a Slave, is based off of um, also one of these kind of slave narratives. So at the beginning of the chapter, she's talking about the life that she's living under um, a new family, the Flints, which is, you know, when the matriarch of the family that she had previously um, worked for, when they when they sold her to... The Flints, her life drastically changed. As I mentioned before, she could be seen as living in the kind of best case scenario of enslaved life with a family that allowed her to learn to read and write. And then she encounters Dr. Flint and then enters into puberty, which is a really big turning point for her. The death of childhood or, or the very little childhood she was able to have um, changes, you know, drastically once she moves with the Flint, where there's no solidarity she finds from the mistress in the house as Dr. Flint begins to sexually harass her, tell her that he's going to do all these things to her. There's really a sense of jealousy and competition that she starts to notice from the woman of the house, from Dr. Flint's wife. There's this feeling of hopelessness that you can see in the way that she's describing the situation she's in. She's realizing, she says, that she's no longer a child on page 46. And she says, quote, that which commands admiration in the white woman only hastens the degradation of the female slave, end quote. That's also on page 46. And 
what does that mean? It's really speaking to this idea of attraction, like the opposite sex being attracted to you would be seen as this very um, promising thing in your life. Or this is a, a kind of this maneuver into adulthood, into womanhood in a particular way. Um, but as an enslaved person, not having the agency to choose one's partner and not having the agency um, to push back against someone who claims ownership to your body is a really big issue for her. And so a moment of someone's um, extra attention or extra eye on you is really flipped, she said, to the degradation of the female slave, knowing that there is this eventual moment where she will be raped. She says everywhere that she goes, he's following her. She says, quote, if I knelt by my mother's grave, his dark shadow fell on me even there. That's on page 46. This idea of you can't even mourn the death of your own mother. She's kind of describing in many ways the everyday mundane but constant horror of slavery. And I think about often the ways that she's reliving her own trauma in order to persuade others to get involved in abolition work. She spent those years hiding out under this roof and she really just read the entire time. And so thinking about what it means as she's reading all of these materials, newspapers, the Bible, anything she can get her hands on. And then once she has freedom, the first thing that she wants to do is figure out how she can help other people get free. She describes slavery through two little girls playing where she says she saw one was a fair white child, the other was her slave, and also her sister, end quote. That's on page 47, which really brings to mind all the different ways that family is constructed, deconstructed uh, within slavery. So thinking about the fact that there's this white girl and there's this black girl together. And because of this history of sexual harassment, assault, and rape within slavery, um, there these two girls are sisters, right? Even though one is has claim to the other in terms of being their slave. On page 48, she describes how the fair child grew up to be a still fair woman. From childhood to womanhood, her pathway was blooming with flowers and overarched by a sunny sky. Scarcely one day of her life had been clouded when the sun rose on her happy bridal morning. How had those years dealt with her slave sister, the little playmate of her childhood? She also was very beautiful, but the flowers and sunshine of love were not for her, end quote. And I just find that to be a really beautifully sad kind of passage of what happens to these two women as their lives diverge based solely on race. This idea that they come from the same you know, family line in many ways. They come from um, the same patriarchal family lines we know. And so thinking about what that means in terms of, you know, how the patriarchy works, right? Your father matters a lot. But thinking about in slavery, these things are flipped, given what we know about all of the, the ways that the body is tormented in slavery. I want to transition to the Langston Hughes, Let America Be America poem. I really... Um, I feel like people kind of pick and choose Langston Hughes' quote because they're so they're so rich. Just one single line, the refrain of "America never was America to me" is is kind of invoked um, really often. I feel like, especially over the past couple of weeks, there have just been these moments where people are really reckoning with what America means to them. Um, who can be truly free in America, especially? The poem describes the various racial, ethnic, and class perspectives of those rendered outside of the so-called the so American dream. He says, who set the free? Not me. 
America never was America to me, and yet I swear this oath, America will be. Um, there's a different understanding of making America again than maybe what we would think about in 2020. And what I like about Langston Hughes in general, and especially Let America Be America, is this contested understanding of what America is and who it's for. And there's a hopefulness to um, swearing this oath that America will be. And and I'm not sure some of my poet people can, can tell me how they read this, but I read this through the lens of either a hopeful America will be this America one day, right? I swear this oath, right? I'm, I'm working towards creating an America that works for me. Or this idea that America will be, it is what it is, right? I think there's two readings that I, I read, and I my most hopeful is the former rather than the latter. The I Too poem by Langston Hughes is another one. And that one is, um, in many ways, has a more playful, less serious tone. But this meaning behind it is very similar, right? This idea of having to eat in the kitchen, being like a member of the family, this idea of they'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed, really speaks to the ways in which there is this close proximity between whiteness and blackness in this country, and yet there are these divisions that are made, and there is this this promise, this hope. They'll see how beautiful I am and be ashamed. One of the things I really urge you to think about in these poems is what Americanness and the claim to Americanness mean um, across these spaces. If we could also go to the W.B. Du Bois on being crazy, this is a short story published in 1907 by W.B. Du Bois, the co-founder of the NAACP, amongst a range of other things, maybe one of the most prominent sociologists um, from the United States. This question he's asked as he moves about the world, do you enjoy being where you are not wanted, right? He says, of course not. All these questions that he's being asked by various white patrons, owners, in various situations like a hotel room, the movie theater, a restaurant. There's this looming threat throughout this short story, if you will, this threat of social equality that's constantly brought up. And I love the ending. Either you are crazy or I am. This idea of we both are. Being crazy for wanting this social equality or wanting these very basic things to sit in a movie theater, to sit in a restaurant, to get a hotel room, for example. All these public functions that are constantly being withheld from him. And he's, he's trying to figure out. He has the guy at the hotel that's telling him he would never allow his sister to marry a black man. And he's like, oh, I'm, I'm actually, I'm good. I'm, I'm happily married and I'm not really looking for anything. He's like, it's, it doesn't matter. You're not allowed. And so I think he kind of plays to the audacity and the absurdity of racism in the short story while also understanding the difficulty in just maintaining and living and being black in the United States. Finally, I want to talk about Toni Morrison, one of my favorite authors of all time, and the short story, Sweetness. What feels like a kind of stream of consciousness in this piece is actually putting us onto some really complex intra-racial dynamics, so within black people, how they relate to one another. In this short story, we understand the idea of passing, right? So Black people that were half black and eighth black um, were able to move through various spaces passing as white in order to gain this kind of social and cultural capital 
and this kind of uh, mobility that they they sought. So she's talking about this idea of her own the the main characters own family lineage and who could pass this understanding of this obsession with color that this woman has um, as she's giving birth to a very black baby. We understand segregation in a particular way through those that are passing and those who refuse to pass, as well as what black domestic labor looks like and, and how colorism, we talked about colorism the week where we had Philana Payton join us and think about TV and film representation and think about what that means in terms of privileging lighter skinned black people and think about how that's reified and how even this woman who's light skinned has a dark skinned black baby and is in many ways traumatized by both the idea that there could be dark people in her, her family tree or her husband, right? She accuses him of having dark people in his family tree, which actually for him is a bigger deal than, than her cheating on him, right? So as they're fighting, that was the, the straw that broke the camel's back, that she would have the audacity to accuse him of having dark-skinned people in his family line. She talks about looking at her baby for the first time and, and thinking that something's wrong and thinking about how she knows that the ways that she feels about dark-skinned Black people as a light-skinned Black woman is wrong, she knows that passing is deceptive. She says, but how else can we hold on to a little dignity, she says. She's embarrassed, she says, at her daughter, Lula Ann. Quote, unquote, born with that terrible color, she says. She didn't even want to breastfeed her baby. She says, it's like having a pickaninny sucking my teat. And that is uh, a direct reference to a very stereotypical representation of black of black children specifically and thinking about how she's internalized a lot of this racist logic and, and even products that are still actually sold in a lot of places of Piccadinnies of these little dark skinned black baby um, caricature figures. So thinking about all of this or even when her husband comes home from working on the train lines and says, what the hell is this? These two thick lips she describes. You know, we, I don't think that we, we had Mother's Day recently. I don't think that we're used to hearing mothers um, in literature or maybe even in real life, hopefully, um, talking about their children in this way. And it's a really sharp reaction I have even still when I read this story because it's both kind of, for me, very sad. I think about children that grow up in these kind of environments, right, where they, they are always felt other. If the world is going to make you feel other, being at home should be the one place you feel safe, right? But that doesn't work for a variety of folks, right? And so thinking about what marginalization, even within your home, of marginalized people means, what it means to have these so-called skin privileges that the main character talks about. She compares this idea of welfare versus relief, the, the rebranding of relief to welfare. She's ashamed to be a welfare recipient, even as she's come on very hard times. She talks about the woman at the welfare office looking at Lula, quote, like I was trying to cheat or something. This idea of infidelity is kind of throughout this entire piece, whether or not she cheated on her husband and had this dark baby. The welfare office thinks that she's cheating, that she took somebody else's baby to come in and get the welfare check. There's all this doubt due to skin color. She She's internalized and we don't know really because of the way that we're hearing her inner monologue, whether or not this is actually how people are reacting to her and the baby or how she is constantly kind of self-aware of her relationship to darkness, to having a dark baby. Morrison's character says, quote, her color is a cross she will always carry, but it's not my fault. It's not my fault. 
It's not, end quote. And I love that because it's this constant battle she's having with herself that she's constantly trying to convince herself. She says, at first I couldn't see past all that black to know who she was and just plain love her. And I find that to be maybe one of the most heartbreaking quotes in the whole story. She talks about the the evolution and the progress of blue black, she calls them as in very dark skinned people, being on TV as a signal of progress in terms of representation, right? This is something we still struggle with. I don't know if anyone is watching Black AF, but there have been a lot of conversations recently, again, about certain showrunners, directors who constantly cast and keep light-skinned actors and actresses instead of kind of representing the diversity of Black skin and what that means to find discrimination even within Black creators, I think is a really interesting conversation And I really think about this short story, Sweetness, as kind of pointing to all this kind of internalized, intraracial issue that on its cover feels um, kind of redundant, maybe, um, maybe too petty considering larger things in the Black community that should be grappled with. But it has a longer lineage that I think about on a very interpersonal level, as well as an institutional one, as we previously discussed. And it makes me think a lot about what we inherit from our parents, good and bad, this piece, genetic and cultural. I feel sweetness represents kind of what we're talking about in the art week, the specific but general kind of of art or creative potential. Black people are both relatable, right? Our own grief and trauma at the end. Sweetness is talking about how she knows that her daughter, who's pregnant, once she has a kid, she'll understand how hard it is. And so I think about a lot generational trauma um, and these kind of creative pieces, as well as what we inherit, you know, what what's genetic, right? The ways that we look or don't look like our parents and what's cultural, the things that we do without even realizing that it's because of the way that our parents raised us. And what about the rejection where I feel like sweetness, her daughter is having this rejection, this idea of someone that you didn't even want to call you mom, she tells her to call her sweetness, is now longing for an actual mother-daughter relationship. And, you know, we're kind of left not knowing how it resolves itself or whether or not there can be that reconciliation between her and her daughter. So anyway, I just really wanted to kind of touch on um, those, those pieces because I feel like they all resonate with me in a particular way. And I just kind of want to end thinking about, you know, when we have this moment, there have been so many kind of senseless, you know, murders occur at the hands of the state, of citizens over the past couple of weeks. And it's interesting to be in isolation and to be reading and consuming these kind of uh, forms of black death. I often return to Langston Hughes, W.B. Du Bois, um, Toni Morrison, and even James Baldwin, another one um, I did not include in the readings this week. And then I see kind of the brilliance complexity and resistance of black people. Um, and so I, I really encourage you to sit with that. I hope that this week finds um, maybe a bit of solace for those that are thinking through some of these things as well as um, helping us to understand just kind of the range of style and potentiality with these authors. Have a good one. <laughs>